Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. Welcome to Books and Nachos, the Venganza media podcast about everything in print. I'm your host, Stuart in L.A., and when last we spoke, I was spending summer vacation with Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park and Lost World. Well, I'm back, but it's fall, and so I'm finding myself heading back to school and back to a very different island, one that makes the threat of dinosaur attack look like child's play, quite frankly. Class, today's assignment is Battle Royale, a 600-page Japanese science fiction novel written by Koshin Takami. American readers may not know that title. I'm guessing they've heard the plot, particularly if they follow the trends of today's young adult novels. Battle Royale, stop me if you heard it before, it's set in a post-apocalypse where a heartless dictator sentences school kids to a tropical island where they are forced to fight to the death. Our main character is a rebellious athlete who pines for a love back home, but gets partnered with a new crush. And the pair evades several danger zones full of fatal obstacles and fights in death matches with friends and enemies. And in the end, they must figure out a way around the rule that states only one of them can leave the arena alive. So, yeah, there's a reason that the 2009 English language edition of Battle Royale came with a sticker on the cover declaring it, quote, the original Survivor Games. Who isn't thinking about Survivor, the reality TV show, or Hunger Games, the popular young adult book and movie series? When they hear a plot description like that, you think about Hunger Games, you think about Survivor. And the sticker is absolutely right. Battle Royale came first. It is the original Survivor Games. Takami developed his idea all through the 90s, and it became an instant bestseller when it was published in Japan in 1999, and one year later, it became a very popular movie, and then that got a sequel in 2003, which was the same time that Battle Royale was translated to English and published here in America, and even then, we are five years away from the adventures of Katniss Everdeen ever appearing on a bookshelf. So. Battle Royale beat it. It came first. Let's just go ahead and get this out of the way, because I do think one of the first things people want to talk about with Battle Royale is how an American author made a lot of money ripping it off. And Suzanne Collins maintains that she did not know anything about Battle Royale when she was writing her Hunger Games trilogy in the early 2000s. She claims she was channel surfing when she came up with her idea that she would have whiplash because she'd watch these young people competing on a silly reality TV show like Survivor, and then it would flip and she'd see news reports with very similar-looking young people dying in war casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan. And she wanted to know, why were we more transfixed by these artificial survival games when there was real life-and-death stuff going on every day? Uh, she also cites Greek myth, uh, the Minotaur and the Labyrinth as being a big influence on Hunger Games as well. But she did not know about Battle Royale at the time. 
And according to her and her lawyers, any similarity between the two is entirely coincidental. Well, you know what? I believe her. I think it is entirely possible that two people in two different parts of the world can have the same idea without one influencing the other, without there being a ripoff. It sounds to me like she came to this from an entirely different perspective, from a political standpoint. But even if she's not telling the entire truth, or maybe she did read a book jacket back in 2003 when Battle Royale was first published in English. Maybe a friend told her about the movie in passing and she forgot and she never saw the movie, but that idea was planted in her head. Or maybe she blatantly read it and said, I'm going to make a lot of money and took the idea and made what she made. She wouldn't be guilty of anything that Battle Royale scribe Koshan Takami didn't do himself. That Japanese author freely admits to being a big Stephen King fan, and he's acknowledged in interviews that he read King's Bachman book, The Long Walk, before he wrote Battle Royale. So maybe it's not the original Survivor game after all. I mean, if you know that Stephen King book, uh, there are a lot of similarities in the way that kids are asked to play with Death Sport. I, I think Hunger Game fans and Battle Royale fans should seek that out. If you don't know it, I realize it is one of King's more obscure works. There has been no movie adaptation. It has been covered. I invite you to Books and Nachos Archives. My co-host Arnie has done an excellent job of dissecting that story, putting it in political context, really breaking it down. And, and you should go listen to that show. Maybe you should go read that novel. Maybe we should praise King as the one that should get all the royalties then for Hunger Games and Battle Royale. I mean, is, does that mean that Stephen King wins the, the round here? I say no. I say that Stephen King was an English professor and probably taught Lord of the Flies, which is a classic novel about a group of school kids who get shipwrecked on an island and start killing each other. I think there's just a very long tradition of kids killing kids and young adult fiction, and it's influenced many writers over the years, and it's just a timeless, highly captivating theme. So I don't see a point in trying to label anyone here as a plagiarist. On the contrary, I consider myself a fan of the Hunger Game novels, and I'm looking forward to examining them, whatever similarities they have to Battle Royale. I'll be doing that here at Books and Nachos in the coming weeks. I'm going to be releasing podcasts about all three Suzanne Collins' works, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Mockingjay. I'm doing them all. Plus, I'm going to be looking at the movies, too. If you're a silver-level donor over at Sister Show Now Playing Podcast, all through November, Now Playing is going to be covering the four Jennifer Lawrence Hunger Game films. Arnie, Jacob, and I, we're going to be discussing, breaking it down, giving you our thoughts on that. So if you want to hear those shows, I encourage you to head over to nowplayingpodcast.com, click the banner at the top of the page, follow those simple instructions on how to be a donor. Because it is the financial support from listeners like you that allows us to continue to make podcasts like Books and Nachos. And since this is Books and Nachos and not Now Playing, I'm going to stop talking about movies. Today, the discussion is strictly about what first appeared in print, Battle Royale the Novel, weighing in at a very impressive 576 pages, featuring 42, count them, 42 major characters, 
Plus, there's teachers and government officials and people in the background. This is a massive book with lots of details to keep straight. Everyone has a unique Japanese name that, quite frankly, a Westerner like me is going to mangle and mispronounce and get confused. Everyone is assigned a unique weapon or gadget. Everyone is navigating a different part of the island. And there's only one not very detailed map in the entire book of this island. So, to the outsider, Battle Royale may seem like a daunting proposition to read. But the good news is that you don't have to get too wrapped up in the fine details to enjoy it. I think this is a story about blood sport, after all. So, approach it as you would any big sporting event. Find your favorite player. Check the scoreboard often. Don't worry if something happened too fast for you to follow. It will be obvious who the winners and losers are as you move through the pages. Gameplay is rather decisive in that way here. In fact, the term Battle Royale is a sports term. It describes a certain type of wrestling match, and author Koshan Takami is a big fan of wrestling. Both the classic Japanese sumo-style matches and the more colorful WWF, WCW stuff that we grew up on here in America. He explains in the preface that a battle royale occurs when 20 or more wrestlers climb into a ring and start fighting at the same time. And it looks like chaos at first. I mean, the wrestlers must form alliances, really, in order to get anything done. You know, their only hope to defeat the enemy at first is to partner up. But eventually, it is going to be every man for himself. There can only be one winner. Tag teams must be broken apart. A friend must attack a friend. 19 guys must get pinned so that one guy can walk away with the belt. And Takami thought that it would be funny to apply that scenario to the Japanese educational system, which he had graduated from 10 years before. Now, I realize that sounds maybe a little bit morbid to us here in America, but I think it's important to stress that Japan does not have the publicized history with school violence that we do here. The idea of school kids picking up guns and killing each other is the stuff of outlandish fiction there. Anime, manga, it's not daily life. It's not in the news. Guns are not readily available. In fact, Takami had no familiarity with guns when he wrote this story. And that would be obvious. If you get your hands on the first English language edition of Battle Royale, it is apparently filled with factual errors about the make and model of firearms that they then had to go and correct in the later editions. So while I completely respect that many folks may not see the humor in child violence, the bloodshed that Takami is writing about here comes from a very removed place, and I don't think it should be mistaken as a reflection of real-world events. I think you should think of it as a boy wishing he was the one bloodying up Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik. You know, it's, it's a fantasy in which violence is cartoonish. In fact, I suspect the novel would have ended up being a very broad comedy if Takami hadn't reached out to an old school chum while he was fleshing out his ideas. Takami wanted uh, his buddy to speculate, basically, on who he thought from their class would have won if their teacher had ordered them to kill each other for a good grade. And he was surprised that his friend gave such a passionate response. He got teary-eyed, and he insisted he couldn't be coerced to pick up a weapon to hurt his peers, nor could he imagine authority figures that would make such a cruel demand. 
and seeing this horrified reaction from his friend made Takami reconsider the whole battle royale scenario in a more dramatic light. Now, Takami is not a particularly political person. I don't think that we should spend too much time trying to analyze the government he creates here on the page. It's a dictatorship that oversees these classroom battle royales. Maybe a careful reader might conclude from picking out small details here and there that Japan has been absorbed by what looks like communist China into something called the Republic of Greater East Asia. It is ruled by a dictator that is referred to as His Majesty the Leader, and he addresses his subjects as, quote, comrades. So it does have a Soviet socialist kind of air to it. He's declared war on the West. He calls us the imperialists. And he's outlawed almost every aspect of American culture. Now, Battle Royale doesn't take place in the future so much as an alternative universe. The year is 1997. Keep in mind, the book was published in 1999. Ninth graders have been competing in these death matches for 50 years, since 1947. And the leader's justification for this slaughter is really vague. He gave a speech in which he basically refers to battle royales, what he actually calls battle royales, are, are the program. The program is a vital part of national security, according to the leader. It works in the same way as a military draft. Young people offer up their lives as a tribute to the gods. That's plural. So these, this is not completely socialist. They believe in gods. And from their sacrifice, the Republic remains protected from the evil Western industrialists that surround them. And citizens play along. They're too afraid to challenge the program, basically. Freedom of speech is not encouraged here. And, you know, the odds are in their favor. I think uh, it's stated that there's a 1 in 800 chance that your ninth grade class would be one of the ones selected to compete in the program. There's actually a greater chance that you'll die in an automobile accident than you will die in a battle royale. And I guess that makes our main character, Shuya Nananhara, one unlucky guy because both statistics factor into his life. In seventh grade, his parents are killed in a car crash. He's forced to go live in an orphanage. And two years later, he's on a field strip with the rest of his ninth grade class when their school bus fills up with knockout gas and they wake up on a deserted island wearing collars wired to explode. Their teacher has been executed. They have a new instructor by the name of Kinpatsu Sakamuchi who gleefully announces that they are indeed about to participate in the program. And so each of the 42 students gets handed a map and a randomly assigned weapon, and they're sent out into the wilderness. And they can choose not to fight, but everyone's collar is wired to blow, and they will all die if too much time passes between the fatalities. Sakamuchi can just hit a button, and all collars will explode. They can try to hide, but they better not get too comfortable with one particular space, because... At every hour, um, a different part of the island becomes a danger zone. And if you're caught in a danger zone, you only have a few seconds before it triggers your collar to explode. And if you try to remove that collar, by the way, you won't even have that long to live. It will explode instantly. So participation is mandatory. But of course, not everyone is going to play by the same rules of the game. I don't want to spoil anything for potential readers, 
So I want to stick to generalities in discussing what happens in this battle royale. What you're going to see here is that some kids enjoy killing. Uh, they were bullied, or maybe they were sexually abused. And so they're going to feel vindicated when handed a crossbow or a machine gun and told to point it at people that hurt them. And there are the bullies themselves. It should be said that some of the toughest ones become even more aggressive once armed. Some kids aren't going to want to play. Uh, they're going to try to find a way off the island. They're going to want to fight back against Sakamuchi. Uh, others will simply give up and commit suicide. And keep in mind, this is junior high, so there's a lot of hormonal drama as well going on. Unrequited love, which you'll see getting resolved with knives. And a rich kid, you know, trying to use his dad's connection in the government to save himself. A computer hacker will try to outsmart the system and dewire the collars. Takami writes clear-cut good and bad characters. I think that that's actually a blessing in this game, is that there are people that it's easy to root for and people easy to root against. I mean, those that fight merely to survive have a nobility. Those that develop a taste for killing will never be convinced to to lay down their guns. Once they turn, once they go for it, they are an enemy. And so, yeah, you kind of takes all kinds here with this classroom. There are all of the stereotypes you expect to see in ninth grade. Mean girls, good girls, jocks, poets, an ostracized gay kid, a bullied fat kid, a cosplayer. And there's even this transfer student who we will find out actually competed and won in a previous round of Battle Royale. I thought that was a neat flourish, to think that there was actually someone here who was an expert, who knew how to play the game because he had done it before. Takami is going to spend time with each and every one of these 42 students, which is partly why this is nearly a 600-page story. And as I suggested earlier, readers are going to have their own favorites to root for. I mean, I found it helpful that each kid is given a number, so that even if you have trouble keeping track of all these Japanese names, there's a system in place that helps you identify who's who. I mean, I kept a pad by the book, and I, you know, would write down little details about boy number seven or girl number two. I mean, I, it works in the same way as a sports jersey, quite frankly. I also like the idea that each of the 79 chapters in Battle Royale ends in a head count. For example, the last sentence in chapter 5 reads, quote, 40 students remain. So, you know, two of them died in the last chapter. By the end of chapter 36, 25 students remain. And by the time we get to chapter 52, Sakamuchi has implemented an in-game strategy and the 17 students that are remaining get whittled down very, very quickly at that point. I mean, the game only really lasts about three days. This conceit really helps readers, I think, keep perspective on all the fatalities. It doesn't just feel like mass carnage. Uh, you know what's going on. And I admit it. It helped me get into it. Sometimes I would flip to the end of the chapter before reading that chapter just to know if somebody was doomed. 
And if I saw the numbers were going to drop, I would read that chapter very slowly to see what would happen. If I saw that the headcount didn't change, I'd actually read faster and flip because, you know, I want to actually get to the next kill. I mean, the book has a funny way of adrenalizing the reader about violence. But I think I spoil nothing by saying that boy number 15, Shuya Nanamura, is going to be one of our finalists. I mentioned him as our main character before. He's the first kid we meet. And I think there's several reasons given for why he is our hero, why he is the one that is the focal point. One, as I mentioned, he's got a hard luck story. He's an orphan. He has already been through a lot in his 15 years of life. And so he's got some resilience. He's going to be tougher. Also, two, he's a rock and roller. He likes American music. And even though the Republic has outlawed rock as illegal and a bad influence, that did not stop Shuya from learning to play the electric guitar and learning the lyrics and music of Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen and protest songs from the 1960s. You get the sense that he's just come to the island already, ready to fight the system. He didn't need a battle royale to be angry at the way things were here in the Republic. And three, the first casualty of the games is Shuya's best friend, boy number seven, Nobu. Uh, They've known each other since they were both in the orphanage. They are the only orphans of this 42 class. The ruthless new instructor, Sakamuchi, Basically, he wants to make an example right at this top when he's explaining the rules of gameplay. And so he has Nobu shot and killed right in front of everyone. First to die, he never had a chance to survive out in the wilderness and fight. So Shuya has a real good reason to stay alive. He's got to get back at Sakamuchi for killing his friend. And it also puts a new responsibility on him as well. Suddenly, he has to take care of Noriko, girl number 15, who was the girl that Nobu secretly loved but never had the opportunity or the guts to tell. And that binds them. Suddenly, boy number 15 and girl number 15, if you didn't already get the sense that they had the same number, they seem destined to be together. And while the perspective in Battle Royale is wide-ranging, like I said, we go and we visit all of the characters here for some period of time, Ultimately, not much time passes before we go back to Shuya and Noriko and see how they're doing. They are our main characters. And they may not be your favorite characters, but I think you do want to see these two get their justice. Do they? Well, I am not about to spoil that. I cannot tell you the end of Battle Royale. That would be like spoiling the Super Bowl to a football fan who hasn't had a chance to watch the game. The fun of reading this story is the fun of watching it unfold and to see play by play who wins, who loses. All I feel comfortable about saying about the story you would read is that Alliances are formed that are going to allow Shuya and Noriko to get that opportunity to strike back at Sakamuchi and the government that put them there on the island to begin with. I really enjoyed Battle Royale, and I think those intrigued by this premise are going to have a good time watching it unfold. But a few qualifications for Hunger Games fans. The violence here is more graphic and disturbing There are instances of rape and sexual violence uh, that you're not going to find in Susan Collins' work and that are not going to be appropriate for very young readers. 
I also don't think that Takami's prose involves us in the characters as much as it could, though a lot of that could be due to translation. I mean, I don't read Japanese, so I can't evaluate what Takami's words are in the original language. There are two English translations of Battle Royale available here in America, and I did read both. So, you know, I think if you had to pick one, I would probably go with the 2014, quote, remixed edition. I don't know why it's called remixed. There's nothing different about it. It's just a new translation by Nathan Collins, who, by the way, is no relation to Hunger Games' Susan Collins. But it probably has the slight edge over the 2009 edition translated by Yui Unaki. Maybe the only reason for that, actually, is the fact that I think the new edition has cooler cover art. I don't know. Phrases, certain turns of of event. I did look at certain chapters side by side to see where the details were, and they are minimal. You will be fine, either version that you read. But I do think that you might find the prose a little colder uh, than Hunger Games. I'd also consider reading anything the author has written since, but oddly enough, Takami has remained silent for the last 16 years. As of this recording, there has been no second novel. And even though Takami has given interviews saying that he's working on something new, it just has not come forward. He has not come up with another idea, successfully or unsuccessfully, that had the impact of Battle Royale. Now, eventually, publishers got desperate. They're like, well, if you're not going to write a new book, can you at least expand on this book? Could you at least add new chapters so that we can reprint this thing and make more money? And, you know, to his credit, he was hesitant to even do that. And what he ultimately decided to do was work with the illustrator who had adapted Battle Royale into a popular comic book miniseries. And together, they published something called Angel's Border. And that just became available here in America in the last year. I picked up a copy thinking that I might do a separate podcast about what happens in Angel's Border. But once I read it, I didn't really see a point in that. I mean, this is really an addendum to the Battle Royale story. It is not a new story. Basically, Takami had said in an interview in 2009 that there were a couple moments in Battle Royale that he wished he had finessed more, that he had given a little bit more character backstory and nuance to. And so here in Angel's Border, he's going to revisit those moments to give those characters a little flourish. And I want to emphasize the word little in that. There is little difference between the way the events unfold here in this graphic novel addendum, Angel's Border, and the way they did in the book. I mean, the difference largely feels like I'm looking at pictures in one, and in the other, I'm reading prose. If you haven't read Battle Royale, this Angel's Border will make absolutely no sense to you. It's taking moments out of context and not really giving you the full understanding for what's going to happen to these characters. If you have read the story, will it be meaningful? Maybe if you're a rabid fan. Maybe if you just can't get enough of all 42 characters, you're going to care about these moments. I'll I'll go ahead and give you a hint as to what they are. It's the stuff involving the girls in the lighthouse, and it's a backstory about the computer hacker meeting one of the girls uh, about a week before they ended up at Battle Royale Island. I didn't mind reading Angel's Border, 
but I don't think it really added to my enjoyment of the original novel. I hate to be cynical about it, but honestly, uh, the characters I wanted to focus on are the ones that are going to be there in the end of the novel. I think that, you know, winners are more compelling in this instance anyway than losers. So why would I want to read about people that I know aren't going to make it? But, you know, I thoroughly recommend Battle Royale, the novel. Shrug off Angel's Border. You can decide for yourself if that interests you. But I think that go ahead, give it a shot. And if you want to hear my thoughts on the movie adaptations, Battle Royale 1 and 2, that's out there too. Uh, All you need to do is head over to nowplayingpodcast.com, become a silver level donor, and you'll hear all my thoughts on the two movies. They are a bit different than the book, particularly the sequel takes the story in an entirely different direction. Next up for me... Hunger Games, 12 million copies sold throughout the world. Maybe you haven't picked them up yet. Maybe you saw one of the movies and you're wondering what the fuss is all about. Please join me next week here at Books and Nachos because I'm really going to delve into that first book and really make a case for why it is a very impressive piece of young adult literature. Uh, In the meantime, I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting the show. Please keep reading. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.